Good to be with you today. Thank you for joining us in person. Those who are joining us online through Facebook, YouTube, or listening on the phones, we are glad to gather together in the name of Jesus. I want to give you two quick housekeeping announcements, and then we'll get into God's Word. One is our 24-hour prayer event is this Thursday, Friday. Uh, We're asking people to sign up for 30 minutes to to pray. We have prayer guides available uh, online. If you need a printed copy, you can let us know that as well. You can use that however you want to. You can do that solo time, just you go off to a corner somewhere and have the prayer guide in your Bible and pray. You might want to do this with your family, do it with friends, maybe you get with people uh, around the world and say, hey, meet me online for such and such a time and we'll read and pray. But I want to really invite you to pray because uh, God uh, moves when his people pray and we want to be a praying people here at Berlin Church. So I encourage you invite you, challenge you to sign up and pray uh, this week as we lead into our Christmas Eve gathering. Another thing I want to um, let you know is that we'll gather in this room on Christmas Eve, uh, Friday night at 7 p.m., and that uh, will be a great time of um, of celebrating uh, the Lord's birth. Uh, We'll have communion, our candle lighting. It's really a special, special time, so I really encourage you uh, to carve out that time. If you've got family things going on, the nice thing is it'll be online, so you can watch it then live, or maybe you incorporate it as part of your Christmas morning tradition, uh, watching that service online then. So, got some opportunities for you to, to gather as we celebrate. And again, you've got those cards. I encourage you to pass them out to someone this week. I gave one to a friend uh, just Friday morning. So, encourage people to gather as we celebrate the birth of Christ. All right, here we go. Got, got in my baton here, thanks to Coach Maruna at the school, uh, borrowing it from him. But Scripture tells us, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. Can you say those words with me? Run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's our core 52 memory verse for this week. We're in week number 51. That means we're almost to the end of our journey. I want to encourage you. I want to commend you if you've been following along pretty faithfully. Good job. If you're like, dude, I messed this up big time, we still love you. It's okay. Jesus is still on the throne. Uh, Pick that up and and work at it however you see fit. We still have a few books left, so if you're saying, I don't even know what you're talking about, preacher, grab yourself a Core 52 book on your way out there at the welcome desk and uh, journey through that however you see fit. You might want to redo that again next year and do a different part of it because there's lots of material in that Core 52. We've been trying to dial in 52 of those key passages that all Christians really need to to know. And so this is one of those texts from Hebrews chapter 12. And so in Hebrews chapter 12, it's following up with chapter 11, so I encourage you to get your Bibles open. In fact, I want to remind you, come January, I want you to bring your Bible to church. And if you're saying, I just use my phone, 
God, God loves phones and tech is cool, but I really want you to find your Bible, bring your Bible to church. If you're saying, I don't have a Bible, you let me know, we will get you a Bible. But I want to choose, come January, we're going to have five weeks, we're just going to talk about the Word of God from Psalm 119. So I want to encourage you to bring your Bible to church. And so in this Hebrews chapter 11 and 12, we have this beautiful relay of faith in chapter 11. People call it the Hall of Faith. And so the writer of the Hebrews, he's giving these different examples of faithful followers of God. It starts with righteous Abel and how Abel hands off a baton and then later on it gets passed on to Noah and then to Abraham and then there's Moses and David is mentioned. There's lots of these faithful followers of God and it just appears that every generation is handing on the baton of faith to the next generation. And there's faithful follower after faithful follower. What I find encouraging in those in chapter 11 is that those faithful followers were not perfect. In fact, there's some pretty big warts on their, their witness, I'll be honest. And so if God can use them, then there's hope that maybe he can use me. And I know he can use you. And so this, this journey of faith has been handed off, handed off, and so then we come into chapter 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And the picture appears to be that they've handed the baton off to each one, and after they've handed the baton off, they've gone to take their seats up in the stands, and they're cheering for this race of faith for the generation that's now following Jesus. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, it is Abel and Abraham up in the stands cheering us on, and Moses and King David, and it even mentions Samson and Jephthah and some crazy guys, and it says there's women up there, and there's all these faithful followers of God cheering us on he says since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses and i want you to think about some of the faithful followers that have helped you in your walk with jesus those who have discipled you in your walk with jesus and if they've gone to be with the lord guess what i just kind of picture them up in the stands and they're cheering us on they're clapping and they're saying you keep running and you keep running you keep running and so as we look at this text today we're talking about gaining grit, and we're going to unpack that in a moment. And we're going to outline what a grit plan looks like by asking three questions. But I want us to look at how we can find from this, these verses how we can run well in these difficult days. Because running the race of faith, following after Jesus, is hard work. And it's difficult. And there's just times where you just kind of wonder, is this really worth it or not? And you just get to those points where you're like, I'm just tired, and I'm just, I just, I'm done. And I just want to encourage you through the Word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, to keep running. And some of you are saying, I can't run very fast. You, you follow the metaphor with me, okay? We're going to keep walking, following after Jesus with our whole heart. And I'm just thankful for faithful, faithful followers of Jesus. So here's, here's the, there's the goal here. The, the first part, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us. So the first thing you want to follow after Jesus in this road of faith is you've got to throw off everything that hinders you. It says throw off everything that hinders. So the, the first question in your grit plan is, what's, what's hindering me right now? What's holding me back? What's weighing me down? And so in this race of faith, it says, throw off everything that hinders. And so you can, you've seen these athletes train, 
And so maybe what's going on in this training exercise is when you get into shape, let's be honest, you lose weight, right? I mean, you start exercising, you start running, you start walking, you start swimming, you start lifting weights, you're going to shed some excess pounds. And I'm not making a blanket statement here, but let's just say maybe there's some of this that we just need to kind of let, let off some things that hinder us. We'll need to do that in a couple weeks after the holidays, right? Okay, I'm really talking about physical weight, though. I don't think that's really what's happening. But even in this picture of, of the runners, you remember when, when track season's coming up here in, in March, and there's some cold track meets out there in the spring, aren't they? And those runners, they've got their sweats on, and they've got their coats, they've got their beanies, and their gloves, and then they're like, okay, first call, second call, then they're like, runners to your mark, and then they start stripping down all their sweats to where they're just in their, basically their skivvies with those little running uniforms. They're not very, they're just lightweight, because you want to throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles. In the ancient culture, you ready for this? You know how they competed? In the buff. They were naked when they were running. That's where the word gymnasium comes from, naked. So they really took this full bore, throw off everything that hinders us, okay? I am not advocating that, but at their same point, what is hindering us? What is weighing us down. So, and your grit plan, answer the question, what's weighing me down right now? What do I need to throw off? What do I need to stop? And the sin that so easily entangles, the sin that so easily entangles. I spent a lot of time outside this summer. It was really good, good for my soul. Uh, and it was not really good for my socks, though, because whenever you go outside in the summertime, tromping around the woods with your dog, there are these things called stick tights and cockaburs, or I don't even know how to even pronounce that stuff. And it's just like, where'd these things come from? Because I didn't see them. And then you walk out of the woods, you look down, and you're like, your shoelaces are full of them, your socks, your pants, especially if they're those. There's that certain material, those shorts that are made out of, like these things don't even come out even when you pull them out. And then there's our wonderful golden retriever with those long, that long her, hair of hers. Hours this summer I just brushed and brushed, and then the next day, guess what? More cockaburs, more stick ties, just brushing them out. She was a good dog, let me do that. But that was kind of the evening ritual uh, on sabbatical, just pulling stick tights out of my dog. Okay, but the sin that so easily entangles, there's just sometimes you walk through this life and that stuff just catches you quick. You don't realize it. So what is it that you got to throw off and, and, and get away from? The sin that so easily entangles. There's two stories, two different ship stories that I want to tell you. One, and there's both true stories. The first story, 1845, uh, there's called the Franklin Expedition. They set off from uh, England, London probably, but we'll just say England, setting off to go find the Northwest Passage. They're going through like the Arctic Ocean, North Pole, cold stuff. And uh, basically whenever you, there wasn't any war to fight back then, they're like, hey, go explore the North Pole. That's your job in in the army. And so there's this guy, Sir John Franklin, takes 129 people, a couple different ships. I wouldn't recommend getting on this ship's name. It was called the HMS Terror. The Terror. 
And so they're on the Terror and the Erebus. And I didn't, I didn't check what Erebus means. But they're on these two ships, and they are outfitted to the hilt. 1845, they have libraries on these ships because they knew they'd be gone for a long time. Tons and tons of canned food, tin canned food. Uh, they brought a metal forge on this ship and all kinds of just extra stuff. And they get up into the icy waters of Canada, and guess what happens? Their ship is stuck in ice, like stuck. And they're not going anywhere for a long time. And so they finally say, you know what? We're stuck here. And so they leave the ship, and they just say, we got to go find help. This is a Franklin expedition. And they, uh, they don't make it. Sorry, they, they die. And there's a book, and it's really gruesome. It's called Frozen in Time. And they die. Some of it is because they died of lead poisoning because their canned goods, they weren't soldered properly, and they just they went crazy. And so some of it was that. Some of it was their leader died, John Franklin. Some of it was they, when they sent search parties out years later to find them, they saw that the ruts of the sledges or the big sleds, they said they had such deep ruts. They're like, these guys did not practice traveling light or portability. They just kind of took everything they could with them across the ice, and it killed them. That's the Franklin Expedition, 1845. True story. Go look it up. 60, 70 years later, enter Ernest Shackleton. Again, a Londoner. On the day World War I starts, he sets off with his newly named ship, the Endurance. That sounds a little better, the Endurance. And so they're going not to the North Pole, they're going to the South Pole, and they're going to walk across or float across Trans-Antarctica. They're going to go across Antarctica. There's 28 guys in this outfit. And guess what happens? They get into the icy waters, and their ship gets stuck. And they're there for months. And they realize this ship's going down. And the way uh, Alfred Lansing describes it in his book is really pretty cool. It was making all kinds of crazy sounds. The ship was buckling and bowing. And he said there were just some wild sounds as that ship was cracking up against the ice. They were down there for months. In fact, they would be on ice, not land, 497 days. 28 guys. And when it came time to leave the ship... Ernest Shackleton circles up his guys, and with a grave look in his eyes, he said, we must travel light. He said to them, it is imperative that all weight be reduced to the barest minimum. Each man, he said, you get the clothes on your back, two pairs of mittens, two pairs of boots, Six pairs of socks, you get a sleeping bag, a pound of tobacco, I thought that was interesting, two pounds of personal gear, that's it. He pointed out that no article was of any value and weighed against their ultimate survival. And he exhorted them to be ruthless in ridding themselves of every unnecessary ounce regardless of its value. And he reached into his parka and pulled out a gold cigarette case and a handful of gold sovereign coins and he threw them into the snow. He's trying to get their folks' attention. 
we are traveling light. And they just started having this mound of all this stuff that was just going to be left there on the ice. And they were leaving it. 497 days later, they're rescued. They all survive Antarctica. Over a year and a half, my friends. Ernest Shackleton, endurance. Check out the story. In your plan for making grit more effective in your life, what do we need to just say? We got to throw in the snow and say, this is done. I'm no more. What's weighing you down? Let us run with perseverance is our next step. We must run with perseverance. The word perseverance means just to stay. It also means the word to endure. And so we run with perseverance. And there's this book by Angela Duckworth, and in our book in Core 52, he references it. Angela Duckworth, she was a teacher, and she taught for a few years. And then she, she left the classroom to get her master's to say, what makes these students succeed? She was trying to figure out, why do some kids make it and other kids don't? And she went off to study this for her master's, and she, she found out that it's really not IQ, and it's not even socioeconomic. She went and studied the cadets at West Point and said, you know, what's going to make these cadets succeed and what's, which ones aren't going to make it through? She studied the contestants at the National Spelling Bee and said, you know, what separates those kids that make it early on and those who make it to the end? And she studied the junior class up in Chicago public schools and she asked the question, a year from now, which one of these kids are going to graduate? She says, it's not IQ, it's not economics. She says, it's grit. It's grit. There's just some kids that just have grit. It means they just stick to it. And she describes grit as passion and perseverance for very long-term goals. Passion and perseverance to very long-term goals. She needs to write another book to say, okay, how do you put grit into people? Because she hadn't figured that part out. She just knows here's what it is. But I think this book can help us. We run with perseverance. We run with grit. Can I give you another side? This really, I need to apologize for Jesus for this part of my sermon, but, but I'm just going to say it, okay? When I think of grit, I think of, of, of Rooster Cogburn, and he's got that eye patch, and he's got the guns. He's even holding his, his uh, reins in his mouth, you know, and, and the, the, the young girl, she's like wanting to find vengeance and justice for her, for her dad who was killed, and she's like, I'm looking for someone who has grit, and then he walks in. Now, I'm not advocating everything that John Wayne does, especially he's got some major issues in that movie. <laughs> major issues. But that's kind of a picture of saying, you know, I'm not going to give up here, and we're just going to see this thing through. And as followers of Jesus, I hope and pray that we should be the leaders in this world. When people are giving up on stuff, we're going to say, we're going to see this through because we have passion and perseverance for very long-term goals, which is heaven, which is we want to take as many people with us to heaven. Passion and perseverance. The Apostle Paul has this same type of attitude in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. It really is that last half of chapter 3, but we're going to look at just verses 12 through 14 of Philippians chapter 3. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on. 
done with perseverance. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, don't let anything hinder you. And straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I love the athletic imagery that the Apostle Paul has as I press on to reach the goal. And so as we press on, as we persevere, we need to focus on the goal. So as you're writing your plan for grit, not only do you need to say, well, what do I need to cast aside? What is hindering me? What do I need to persevere? What, what is it that I need to have in my life to help me run well? A couple weeks ago, we talked about you need to have a Barnabas in your life. Remember someone who's a little further ahead of you in the journey that they can lead you on? So who's that Barnabas? Have you talked with them yet? You need a Silas, someone beside you, a similar stage of the journey that they can encourage you and walk with you and support you. And you also need a Timothy, someone who's coming behind you to say, hey, come on, come on, come follow me. I'll help you. And so maybe that's part of your perseverance plan is you need some help and you, got some, you need some relationships with you. So what is it that you need to help you run with perseverance? That will help you gain grit. And third, focus on Jesus. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles us. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, as verse 2 says, Hebrews 12. Fixing our eyes. The word means to look undistractedly. So fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. This Jesus has gone before us, the pioneer. Some translations say he's the author. So he's gone before us. He's the perfecter. He's the one that's going to complete us. He's going to be the one to finish this with us. We don't have to do this on our own power, my friends. That's good news. And so he's the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. And then the writer describes what he did in three different ways. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Let's be honest. When we think of the cross, and we've got a nice wooden cross here, but it's not really a pretty thing. And you wouldn't associate joy and crucifixion. It'd be like saying, for the joy of the electric chair, for the joy of lethal injection, really? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The word for endure is the same root for run with perseverance. It means to stay. Run with perseverance. For the joy set before us, he, for him, he endured the cross. So Jesus was able to say, you know what? I know there's a long-term goal behind the cross. And I'm going to be able to run with perseverance because I know what's on the other side. And there's not a cross there. There's going to be a crown. And the crown can be a cure for a weary heart. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He stayed. I was reading with my son last night. He was asked some questions about the Christmas story. And we read about the wise man. But then I'm like, let's back this up and see what, what Joseph's story was. And so in Matthew chapter 1, it talks about how Joseph finds that Mary's pregnant. And then in Matthew 1, it says, And Joseph had in his mind to put her away, to divorce her quietly. And then the angel of the Lord shows up to Joseph in a dream and says, Not so fast. This baby is from the Holy Spirit. And so Joseph brought Mary home. He, he stayed. He could have sent her packing. 
but he stayed with Mary. He endured, persevered. And I'm sure there were some difficult days there in Nazareth during those later months of pregnancy. And there'd be a lot of questions, but he stayed. Joseph had grit. And his son, Jesus, when he was hanging on the cross, the chief priests and the elders, they said, hey, if you're the son of God, come down from that cross. He could have come down. But Jesus stayed. He stayed on the cross. He endured the cross. What is it that you need to do? Is there something that you need to stay? Do you need to stay? You do need to, to stay in that relationship. Don't walk out on your marriage. What's God calling you to do as you gain grit and focus on Jesus? Not only do we, uh, just did he, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, but he scorned its shame. This cross was something shameful, and it was scary, and it was disruptive, and it would have been publicly humiliating to be stretched out for all the world to see and probably again naked. But Jesus scorned its shame. Jesus had grit. And the Romans, they even had this saying from Cicero, let the very mention of the cross be far removed not only from a Roman citizen's body, but from his mind, his ears, and his eyes. And yet Jesus scorned its shame and he went to the cross because he knew what was on the other side. Scorning its shame, and it says there, the last part of Hebrews 12, verse 2, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We were able to look at the cross now and say that's a positive thing because of Jesus. He walked out of the grave Easter Sunday morning. Forty days later, he sends into heaven as king on high, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so that's why we like to talk about King Jesus around here, because Jesus is our king no matter who's calling the shots in any government house around here. King Jesus. And so the king is on his throne and he is he's there with us, preparing and setting the way for us. And so when we can focus our eyes on Jesus, we have this long-term goal to say, okay, heaven is my goal with King Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus. So your third part. First part is what's hindering me that I need to get rid of. What do I need to do to run with perseverance? Are there some relationships that I need to have in place as we're putting our plan for grit? And then what do I need to do to focus on Jesus? Do I need to remember that he stayed on that cross for me? Do I need to remember that he's at the throne with God in heaven? Do I need to think about heaven more often? Because I'll be honest, in the thick of it, when you're ready to give up, it's pretty hard. You've got to have that gut determination to realize there's a goal on the other side. And with Jesus' help, we're going to make it. Hebrews 12, verse 3 says it this way. Consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We're encouraged to follow after our king so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. And it's almost the picture of you see the runner cross the finish line and then they just collapse. He says, we don't need to do that because we've got Jesus there to pick us up. 
and carry us to the finish line? In what ways do you need to send your attention, focus your attention on Jesus? Do you need a reminder of his sacrificial love for you? Do you need to remember that Jesus is reigning as king of the universe? As we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run with perseverance and fix our eyes on Jesus. The sermon boils down to this. Our Savior suffered with joy to show us the way to victory. And it's that victory that we celebrate today. It's that victory that we can walk in each and every day. And there's someone who's ready to take that step today in baptism. 